Here we go. Good morning and uh, welcome to the School for Course in Miracles uh, session on Workbook Lesson 184. And I had fun with this one because I've been a, a, a student of symbols for a long time, <laughs> particularly geometric ones. So I pick up, picked a background that was, I thought, appropriate. But it's sort of interesting, my perspective over the years of looking at symbols from different angles, pun intended. <laughs> and, and from the course's perspective, um, you know, we, we have everything inside out and upside down and, uh, and backwards and as egos. And of course, we're actually the symbols. Um, <laughs> at least what we think we are is the symbols. Um, but what we really are is, is the reality. But that's, that's what uh, we keep pushing away and, and uh, that sort of thing. So I, I made some, some notes here as I was going through um, some of the thoughts in the, in the lesson. And I was, I was realizing this is a really platonic lesson, uh, not, not in the uh, you know, platonic relationship kind of uh, met metaphor, but in terms of Plato's philosophy. Um, and I, I you know, jotted down, you know, he's, that Greek philosopher is known for among many other things, uh, five fundamental geometric shapes that represent symbols for fire, earth, air, water, and spirit called the platonic solids. And anybody who studied three-dimensional geometry is probably familiar with those. And I've got a whole website devoted to it. <laughs> it but over the years, it's kind of like my, my interest in that hasn't hasn't uh, uh, gone down it's only it's grown arithmetically where where my interest in the, the pure non-dual metaphysics of A course in miracles has grown geometrically Pun, puns intended <laughs> how's that and uh, but it's interesting that you know that what what Plato suggested and, and sort of overlooked I think for the people who are fixated on the shapes that he's known for um, he really championed the idea that the symbol is not the thing that it represents and and the symbols that we think of as our bodies and our personalities uh, are really, you know, stand-ins. They're placeholders. They're just representatives for what what we really are. And we've gotten all hung up over the the representation, and and fixated on the symbol instead of, uh, you know, going beyond it. I, I was thinking of the, the Buddhist. Uh, um, a meme of uh, you know the getting worshiping the finger instead of looking where it's pointing to that kind of thing, um, but Plato was was an advocate from what I've read anyway of the idea that the symbol isn't the source and uh, and the course reminds us that the only the source is going to make us happy and that's really the only place where the piece is going to going to work so. Um, I, I, and there are a few more notes. You know, substitute can't be the real deal. And then I was looking up um, uh, synonyms for symbols, and I found allegories, representations, metaphors, myths, fables, analogies, parables, legends, and even nursery rhymes. You know, I'll make use of symbols to attempt to convey a deeper meaning, uh, more universal truth, so that we can generalize our learning. And then, of course, the miracles asks us to look at everything in space and time, all of duality as symbol, as metaphor as representation of mind so that we can go beyond the form to the content of the mind. So um, there's a, um, a colleague of mine in the, in the geometrical <laughs> study realm of what's become known as sacred geometry. But to, to me, I, I, you know, quick aside is, you know, when I first got into studying that you know, a long time ago, about, about the same time I started studying metaphysics, um, uh, it wasn't called sacred geometry, but, but uh, I kind of came to the realization that either everything is sacred, which is the oneness of everything, or nothing is sacred, which is basically the ego's <laughs> interpretation of everything. <laughs> so, 
in that sense, you know, we could use that uh, adjective to anything and everything. And uh, uh, the, really the sacredness of anything is the fact that it's one. And, and the way we get back to that is th through the interconnectedness, through the, inter through the relationships, which is why A Course in Miracles emphasizes that so, so emphatically. Um, and uh, the, the meaninglessness <laughs> always seems to get back to trying to analyze the separate parts and make meaning out of them. Um, so uh, uh, another quick aside, and then we'll get into the, 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 uh, the content of the, the workbook lesson. Uh, there's a colleague that, uh, named Nassim Haramein, if anybody studied interesting geometric stuff out there, he um, had an interesting commentary on the, the different dimensions of, of, of space and when uh, he told, told the story of when he was in grade school, yeah, his teacher said, well, um, dimensions zero, one, two, four, and beyond um, don't really exist, uh, it, it, except the third dimension does. So in other words, if you take a point or a line or a flat surface you know, as mathematical uh, archetypes, uh, and then if you go four dimensions and beyond your hypercubes, if anybody's familiar with all those kind of thing, things, which is fascinating. And, and of course, uh, it can be an endless diversion <laughs> to looking at the mind, <laughs> all kinds of interesting stuff like that. But, you know, it's fun. But, but ultimately, um, the only thing that really has the meaning is, is uh, you know, what connects everything and, and leads us beyond the dimensions, right? But anyway, he had this interesting question to his grade school teacher. It's like, well, if, if three dimensions supposedly exist, but you know, zero through two don't exist and four and, and above don't exist, what, what makes th the third dimension so special, right? And um, so, you know, because why, why should a, a point and a line and a plane and then, then uh, higher dimensional shapes be only mathematical concepts, but but not the things that we perceive in third dimen three dimensions. So anyway, that's, that's kind of a, a little uh, aside, but I think it ties into the idea of, of the whole notion of symbols and how we get fixated on them. And we forget that, that uh, you know, what we think we are uh, as separate things are, are just symbols. They're just representations in our mind of an idea and, and a, a pretty limited idea. Um, so I looked up some of the words that, um, that were in the, uh, when I, when I, you know, Googled, uh, uh, synonyms for symbol, I found name, image, symbol, substitute, representation, sign, figure, myth, and allegory, or oh, and even token, uh, in the course, uh, two, 235 references of name, uh, 130 of image, 124 of symbol, um, Substitute 102, representation 94, sign 80, figure 42, myth 4, allegorical 1, and token 1. <laughs> I didn't find any, any instances of metaphor, fable, parable, or legend in the course. Um, but uh, I, I'm, it would seem that you know, the, the whole um, realm of what we think we are is a pretty, <laughs> pretty elaborate fable, pretty elaborate uh, legend. right? So um, there, one of the first instances of, of the word uh, image and symbolic, both in the same paragraph, is in chapter three in the text, uh, which is the fundamental question you continually ask yourself and cannot properly be directed, uh, cannot properly be directed to yourself at all. You keep asking what it is you are. This implies that the answer is not only one you know, but is also one that is up to you to supply. 
good luck with that, right? Figuring out on our own. Yet you cannot perceive yourself correctly. You have no image to be perceived. The word image, in quotes, is always perception related and not a part of knowledge. Images are symbolic and stand for something else. The idea of changing your image, in quotes, recognizes the power of perception, but also implies that there is nothing stable to know. So, you know, there we have it, the two thought systems, the, you know, the, the symbol that we've become fixated on and what beyond, lies beyond all symbols, which is what the course is leading us toward. Uh, another, another quote from the, the text is chapter six. God did not make the body because it is destructible and therefore not of the kingdom. The body is the symbol of what you think you are. It is clearly a separation device and therefore does not exist. The Holy Spirit as always takes what you have made and translates it into a learning device. Again, as always, he reinterprets what the ego uses as an argument for separation into a demonstration against it. So <laughs> once again, Holy Spirit patiently, calmly takes every uh, distraction, diversion, and distortion that the ego makes and says, lay it on the altar, let's look on it together with, with that light and will vaporize all the, the misunderstanding and the misinterpretation by just seeing that it, the symbol couldn't possibly um, be the same as what it's uh, um, wanting to represent or in some case wanting to not represent. I think <laughs> a lot of the ego symbols are intentionally misleading. And uh, you know, if, if we think about you know, what the, we made the world as an attack on God, then, then you know, essentially it's, it's all sort of misleading. Uh, then here's one with the word myth in it. Um, this is from chapter four. Uh, spirit in its knowledge is unaware of the ego. It does not attack. It merely cannot conceive of it at, at all. While the ego is equally unaware of spirit, it does perceive itself as being rejected by something greater than itself. This is why self-esteem in ego terms must be delusional. The creations of God do not create myths although creative effort can be turned to mythology. It can do so, however, only under one condition. What it makes is then no longer creative. Myths are entirely perceptual and so ambiguous in form and characteristically good and evil in nature that the most benevolent, benevolent of them is not without fearful connotations. So that's why, you know, just even though <laughs> on the best of ego days, as you might say, Tim, you know, the, all, all the myths that we make, um, there's still this sort of sort of Damocles, you know, hanging overhead of like, well, something's going to go wrong. I know that somewhere because I've made a big deal about the form, the form's going to betray me. The symbol is going to going to backfire. It's going to be, you know, unsatisfying. It's not it's not going to fulfill what I really want. Um, and then just some notes, some comments, you know, symbols can be used to bring us back to our minds and recognize the sameness to see that we're joined or to further the belief in separation, divisiveness, and the guilt of imagining we fragmented perfect oneness into countless parts with countless names. And I was also thinking this morning, I, was, I woke up thinking about faces. I actually had an interesting dream where uh, someone I knew and two people I quote, didn't know, um, 
were in this dream. And at one point, we were all kind of face to face with, within, you know, a, a few inches of each other, which, of course, would not be advisable in the current <laughs> global climate. But it was just sort of like this smiling recognition that, you know, we were all friends. And, and, and yet the, the two people that I didn't know in this, in this nocturnal dream were it was just as though I'd known them forever anyway. And, and I think I was just kind of a, a helpful symbol, <laughs> again, using Holy Spirit's use of symbols, um, to, to remind me that, you know, we're all in it together and there are, there are no strangers. There really are no enemies or strangers or foreign or alien uh, aspects to self. Um, but that's what the ego wants to do is just to, is to make some of those symbols better or worse than others and some allies and some enemies and, and, uh, and divide. And the Holy Spirit always says, nope, all the same. <laughs> We're all in this together. <laughs> Not to worry. Anyway, so I, I was thinking, you know, you haven't, sometimes there's, you hear the expression and I've used it myself. You have a name to go with a face or a face to go with a name. And, you know, symbols are how we recognize things. That's how we, how we, you know, recognize the things in the world and yet the holy spirit is asking us what if we used names and faces to recognize the oneness what if we could recognize the oneness that's beyond uh any any concept of separation and and i think we we need holy spirit's help to ease into that because we don't i don't think we get that directly i think we over time get more and more hints and uh you know gentle nudgings to to see all the specifics as ways to get back to the sameness and then from the sameness get ultimately back to the oneness. And through the, then all the different names and faces that we, you know, seem to recognize parts instead of recognizing the parts, we just recognize the, the oneness that's behind the, the partisan and uh, <laughs> part, <laughs> partish nature of things. So, uh, I was thinking also uh, the early workbook lessons that ask us to question our investments in in symbols um, and and certainly egos uh, interpretations and identifications with the, the separate symbols and there you know the ego's relentless attempt to ascribe meaning to the meaningless uh, for example one of my favorites is workbook lesson two everything I've given everything I see in this room dot 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 all the meaning that it has for me and if I can remember it's like all the symbols that I've applied. And the names I've learned, you know, from, from birth on to everything. And, and, you know, like this lesson is going to talk about and which we'll get to in a moment. It's like, we, we have, you know, we take great cultural pride in saying, wow, I've, I've classified and named and divided all these things into these categories. And, you know, I remember in biology, you know, the, they, they were enshrining the, what's it, the Linnaean system of, you know, taxonomy and, and all that stuff. You know, I might remember that from biology class, you know, and, and we got the, the different phylums and kingdoms and, you know, King George came over from good specimens or something, some mnemonic like that to remember all the different classifications. And I'm thinking that's just for biology. And then we've got technology and then we've got, you know, every, every other science and discipline, you know, has countless names for things. And it's just, <sighs> how do we keep up with all that stuff? You know, it's just, it's crazy making, but, you know, but, you know, not that we shouldn't try to do the things that are appropriate in the dream world that we think we're in, but, but just if we can kind of remember to just gently laugh at, at the absurdity of that sometimes. And I think Holy Spirit is just patiently waiting for us to say, have you had enough? <laughs> have you, have you divided things up enough <laughs> to, to think maybe it's time to turn the train around and, and, 
and put it in reverse and put things back together. You know, run the film backwards and see Humpty Dumpty's eggshell pieces reassembling. Anyway. So I found, um, interestingly enough, I, I've been sort of binge watching the, the last few dozen uh, Foundation for a Course in Mil uh, Miracles videos of, the, of Ken Wapnick uh, on the, the FACIM YouTube channel. And uh, I was flipping through a few that I hadn't seen. And I happened to have on watch one that was uh, on uh, Q&A on separation and specialness. And he, he shared some things. I was like, no, this is perfect for what I'm going to do today. And, and so I jotted down a couple of quotes from that video. One is, this whole world is just a dream and a set of symbols. It's like, well, there we have it. <laughs> uh, he also said, the problem is that people don't understand symbols. Everything is a symbol. Words are symbols. Concepts are symbols. Theology is a symbol. Pathology is a symbol. Symbols are not real. <laughs> <laughs> we keep trying to make them real, but they're not real. And, uh, and then the last one, uh, there is no body outside of the mind. In other words, the symbol, the form has not left its source in the mind. Those are my words at the end. But, uh, you know, in other words, there's no, there's no symbol that could possibly uh, represent the mind. And I think, I think that's, I, I remember reading somewhere that, you know, the, the Arabic um, culture used, um, not only geometries, but different different uh, shapes and and glyphs and things um, to try to avoid getting more and more symbolic. They tried to to uh, to, to not try to you know, try to go beyond the representation. Uh, of course, unsuccessfully because nothing can really go beyond the representation in this world. But but I, I thought the intent was sort of interesting was to to not have depictions of of faces and and specific things and kind of uh, tend toward the more abstract um, because you know that our, the abstract is really our true nature and and then of course the ego disses and and denies and, and tries to divert us from the idea that the abstraction really could be where the piece is you know we, we think that you know the abstract oh that's that kind of I mean at least this is my impression growing up of you know thinking all the, the connotations culturally of abstracts it's like well well that's just kind of you know out there it's vague it's it's you know the sort of this undesirable thing right <laughs> and yet when you think about the idea of having no specific worry no specific anxiety no specific guilt no specific uh representation of of any of the the ego thoughts and emotions and 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 you know issues <laughs> it's like abstraction starts to look a little better in fact a lot better anyway uh, here's here's from from the little garden uh, in chapter 18. Uh, it is only the awareness of the body that makes love seem limited, for the body is the limit on love. The belief in limited love was its origin, it, and it was made to limit the unlimited. Think not that this is merely allegorical. There's a symbol reference again. For it was made to limit you. Can you who see yourself within a body know yourself as an idea? Everything you recognize, you identify with externals, something outside yourself, something outside itself. You cannot even think of God without a body or in some form you think you recognize. You know, there's the ego mind trying, trying to, you know, wrap around something and divide it from the whole. Yeah, like as this lesson talks about. The body cannot know. And while you limit your awareness to its tiny senses, you will not see the grandeur that surrounds you. 
God cannot come into a body, nor can you join him there. Limits on love will always seem to shut him out. There's the word seem again. I always like to remember the seem words, and that appears. <laughs> seem to, uh, to shut him out and keep you apart from him. The body is a tiny fence around a little part of a glorious and complete idea. It draws a circle, infinitely small, around a very small, very little segment of heaven, splintered from the whole, proclaiming that within it is your kingdom where God can enter not. And I was struck with the contrast of, of this description of the body, which of course is ego's poster child of the belief in separation. Uh, this infinitely small circle is the, is the nothing, it's the, the droplet wannabe of the ego's false identity contrasted with uh, in the uh, forgotten song, the circle that expands to infinity, which it really always was and has been and forever will be infinite in that metaphor. Again, a symbol, but it's a symbol that helps us get back beyond symbols. Um, but the, yeah, that all-inclusiveness, the, in, the all-encompassing, the in toto <laughs> that I learned recently about the Latin word for in, uh, in toto means all-encompassing. Uh, uh, and so that's really, if we can embrace everyone and everything as part of that perfect spirit of, with, that's perfectly innocent, then that awareness um, is really what, what leads us away from symbols while using symbols because we need them, as, as again, the workbook lesson reminds us, you know, we, we can't really get rid of them because we need them to, to relate in the world, but we can use them with the Holy Spirit's purpose in mind. Okay, so um, it says, you cannot even think of God without a body in some form you think you recognize. I have made every effort to use words that are almost impossible to distort, but it's always possible to twist symbols around if you wish. And that's from chapter three. Words are but symbols of symbols, Twice removed from reality, we're probably all familiar with that one, but it's it's true. <laughs> so we forget, though, don't we? It's like you know, these are these are just representations of a, of a greater truth. And I think that to me reminds me. I I keep keep thinking. Well, you know, Plato I think was trying to say that from what what I've read of his work, and and I think that's why Ken refers to Plato and Shakespeare and and a handful of other you know uh, seminal figures in in our Western cultural history as being pivotal to the course. But Plato is certainly one of them there. Um, so I so I just put as usual. Ego has everything inside out, upside down, and backwards as can be. Um, our reality is pure being experience. Our ego's experience is existence uh, set apart from the rest of the universe, cut away from the whole, fragmented and orphaned from unity. And uh, then, then then we'll get into some of the quotes. Uh, here here's one uh, from the first paragraph. That we'll talk. We'll read. By this, you designate its special attributes and set it off from other things by emphasizing the space surrounding it. And then I was thinking about you know the whole uh, one of the, the primary concepts in in art is you know that artists have to use contrast to emphasize the negative space around an object to make it stand out and appear distinguishable. You know, it's like it's it's the contrast that that makes it pop and that, that's the word that often is used to when you're when you're doing an artistic piece right it's like you want it to pop <laughs> which is basically you want it to be different <laughs> and and uh and yet well anyway if we could just question every value that we hold why why would we want things to be different right so uh to divide foreground and background to sever subject from object observer from observe self from not self you know all the all the things that ego uses to divide um 
Well, another, another thing that crossed my mind as I was reviewing this, our science has, quote, disproved the idea of the ether. Uh, interestingly enough, my, my second cousin's uh, grandfather uh, was uh, Albert Michelson, who was part of the Michelson-Morley experiment, which supposedly proved that the ether doesn't exist with mirrors and measuring the speed of light and, and orthogonal axes and all this stuff. Anyway, um, but, you know, it's basically, you know, that supposedly was disproved, which on the level of form, you know, there's nothing, nothing there, which basically, according to the ego's thought system, reinforced the idea, well, there's nothing connecting everything, right? But the idea of the ether was, was that there was this stuff that interpenetrated all of space and connected everything, which, you know, maybe in terms of physics isn't, isn't quite so, but uh, in terms of the metaphysics, um, I think it sort of, uh, I don't know. I, I, I still like that idea. <laughs> and so it sort of further reinforced the belief in separation, although the Holy Spirit asks us to find unity in mind and overlook ego's misinterpretations of bodies by ascribing meaning to them. So um, another sentence from the second paragraph we're going to read, you see something where nothing is and see as well nothing where there is a unity, a space between all things between between all things and you and i was thinking that that kind of resonates with the poem that i read the other day the please hear what i'm not saying um and I, the quote that jumped out at me is i tell you everything that's really nothing and nothing of what's everything again ego's got everything backwards and uh you know what we what we really truly deeply long to know is that interconnectedness and that sameness and ultimately the oneness and you know the ego is that <laughs> fictitious identification that says, no, that's not possible. <laughs> anyway, um, and then the last comment, um, the number of words to divide unity keeps growing over time, reflecting ego's strategy of divide and be conquered. <laughs> I, I was, I was starting to write divide and conquer, but I thought, well, you know, the, you know, the ego likes to say I exist and it's not my fault. Um, I exist at everyone else's expense and, so divide and be conquered is probably a, a more apt expression of the ego's insane strategy. Huh? And then I was reminded of, uh, if anybody hasn't seen it, uh, Jill Bolte Taylor's My Stroke of Insight, where she you know, has a, uh, the whole left hemisphere of her brain goes away and uh, you know, goes down. <laughs> and so all the things that are used to classify and uh, discriminate between different stuff uh, is, you know, sorry, that department is closed for the day. <laughs> and so she, she had these mystical experiences, you know, you know, the kids don't try this at home, but, but as a, as a strategy for having, having a mystical experience, but, but it was interesting how she described that, you know, she had these epiphanies where she realized that, you know, there was this oneness, this beautiful oneness. I, I, I'm trying to remember the, the tone that she shared in this, in this, this uh, Ted talk video. And, and, but, you know, you could tell it profoundly affected her that she realized that all the distinctions and, and separations and divisions and the names that she gave things, you know, they helped her get around in the world, but, but they prevented this huge part of her awareness from, from registering. And, and so that, you know, really inspired her to, to uh, you know, go beyond that. So anyway, uh, I thought now with that, that, that preface, we could read the workbook lesson. And I'll read the first paragraph of Lesson 184. The name of God is my inheritance. Uh, first of all, any, any questions or comments of 
what I've shared so far? Yeah, Bruce, um, would you make the distinction um, again, you, you made it, but I, I would like to hear it clarified, um, between existence and being, because I think, uh, you know, Jesus really goes into that in, mm -hmm. in the course mm -hmm. and what the difference between those two is. Sure, sure, yeah, and and I, I think just from the, the way it's used predominantly, and there's always exceptions because, as Ken Wapnick points out, you know, Jesus is liberal with his use of, of language, but for the most part, uh, the being is refers to the above the line in Ken's chart, the, the pure non-dual um, being. <laughs> it's almost tempting to say existence because that's the word we use a lot, but but what we what we really are eternally. I mean, it's the pure non-dual identity that we all have and are, whereas existence uh, has a beginning and an ending. It, it's limited in space, it's limited in time, and you know, it's it's measurable, it's bounded, it's it's finite, whereas whereas being is infinite. Does that does that resonate with what you're? Yeah. 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 So would you say that um, existence is um, the ego? You know, the separate identity is existent. It exists. Seems and, to. <laughs> and that, that, that being is shared. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 That That's another very, thank you. That's a very another important aspect of, you know, being is infinitely shared and, and existence is infinitely excluded. I mean, if you yeah. really want to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about the phrase, even when, if I say I exist, then automatically there's space between the this i and every if i say you exist then there's a space between me and you mm -hmm. i mean just even using the word even traditionally implies there's a thing that's perceiving existence right so there's automatic space there there's auto what do you say in um not just a space between all things between all these symbols we see space all the time but a, a space between those symbols and me, that I'm a thing that can see symbols. Mm -hmm. I am this thing that exists. I am this thing apart from the symbols that can perceive symbols. And, yeah. and I think that's what he's really going after in this lesson is this idea of uh, this thing that exists, that I think exists, mm -hmm. it is as much a made up thing as all the symbols it's perceiving. Mm -hmm. and, and Lesson 183 yeah, was all point. about being. It was all about stepping into that place of no names. The horse with no name. <laughs> the America song from the 1970s. <laughs> right. We're all horses with no name. We're all one horse. Um, that, you know, like this, this place where it's, it's not just everything is shared. Everything is whatever being is. It's just there's no I exist and, and we're... I, you, you and me are, are sharing something. There's no even you and me sharing anything. Mm -hmm. It's just this experience of way outside of the box of I exist, you exist. I, I can experience being. No, I can't experience being. Being just is. <laughs> mm -hmm. Whatever being is. And I think that's what Lesson 180, that's what it felt like to me, where everything just falls away. And this sense of peace eternal, and my name is God's name. And, and that's all the name. That's the only name. That's the only identity. That's the only being. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, exactly. As you're sharing that, Tim, I was thinking that somewhere in the course it talks about how consciousness is is in the realm of the ego because it has to have an object and a subject. And and you know, like you say, it could be the 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 the, ob, the subject recognizing the symbols, <laughs> but it's still a subject and an object. Yeah, exactly. And then I was thinking of Descartes' famous line: "I think, therefore I am." And you know, with in the ego's hands, it's you know, I I think ego thoughts, and therefore I exist. <clears throat> Whereas Holy Spirit, once again, can turn around in anything and everything. And, uh, you know, the thoughts I think with God uh, are, are true. Therefore, my being is, is where I am. I think, therefore, I be. <laughs> Something like that. Anyway. I, I, but the, thing, the thoughts are completely shared, as Lynn was alluding to. Yeah, Judy? You're muted. Uh, uh, for me, um, existence is not only unreal, but has no life in it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even in a very common use of existence, I think there's a, a deadness there. Um, I mean, for instance, I talk about coming, when I think of it, when Tim said the horse with no name, I come from a one horse town. Um, and what that means is, <laughs> in, in my, there's not much life there. Um, and being, being is like the echo. Being is more even than the echo. Being is, it's just, whenever you think of being, it's like beyond all of this. And not only beyond all of this, but that's really where life is. Um, and all you can do is feel it. You can't think about it. You can't name it, but wow. Anyway, yeah, just, just a bit of a riff on it. it. It is a wow, isn't it? And and I, I, <laughs> I think that's I think it's the shared identity that to me t is the is the the part of the wow that that kind of keeps us moving forward, um, and and helps us to counteract the ego's backlash so that we're not blindsided when it says, well, wait a minute, my separate identity of existence is being threatened here. What, the more that we have the shared, that wow experience, it's a, a shared identity, um, the more we realize we're not giving up anything. We're really gaining everything. Yeah. Any, anyone else? Okay, how about if we uh, read the lesson? I'll start with paragraph one. The name of God is my inheritance. You live by symbols. You have made up names for everything you see. Each one becomes a separate, separate entity identified by its own name. By this, you, you carve it out of unity. What an image. I'm picturing like, a, you know, those wood carving tools, you know, and here's this, this infinite oneness and, and we just keep chipping off little pieces <laughs> and think, oh, those pieces are real important. Well, it's start, starting to look less like an elephant, you know. <laughs> anyway, um, by this you designate its special attributes and set it off from other things by emphasizing space surrounding it. And there's the artist's negative space, right? This space you lay between all things to which you give a different name, all happenings in terms of place and time, all bodies which are greeted by a name. And... Uh, I'll read the next one too. This space you see is setting off all things from one another is the means by which the world's perception is achieved. You see something where nothing is and see as well 
nothing where there is a unity, a space between all things, between all things and you. Thus do you think that you have given life in separation. By this split, you think you were established as a unity which functions with an independent will. And again, think, think of what, what the current um, social distancing uh, guidelines would be without space, <laughs> the dimensions of space. <laughs> I, this graphic behind me is, is sort of like a space filling pattern of circles, you know, also called a, the fruit of life in some, some jargon. And uh, you know, you, there's all these different geometries that to try to fill space so that there's no gaps. Um, and it's, you know, it's kind of an interesting, you know, side study and that sort of thing. But, but to me, I keep coming back just like, well, what is it about trying to make separate things have no space between them when in truth, there's no separate things, you know, this kind of, we're sort of missing the point and our whole visual system our, and our auditory system for the most, you know, all of our senses really are geared toward um, making the, the separation real. If we just take the default interpretation of the ego at face value and don't use Holy Spirit to, to question them. So what are the names by which the wor world becomes a series of discrete events of things ununified of bodies kept apart and holding bits of mind as separate awarenesses. <laughs> I like the word awarenesses. It's kind of, it's kind of like such, a, such an awkward word that we're not used to that it's sort of like, hey, there's really just one awareness. Jesus is telling us there's one awareness here and you're, you're making it into multiple ones. How, how, how could that be? But you know, <laughs> work with where you think you are and, and get it back to the one awareness, right? He's, he's, he's really patient. You gave these names to them, establishing perception as you wish to have perception be. The nameless things were given names and thus reality was given them as well. For what is named is given meaning and will then be seen as meaningful, a cause of true effect with consequence inherent in itself. Yeah, we think we're off on our own and ruling our tiny little wood chip universe. <laughs> <laughs> or water droplet universe or whatever metaphor with that with with our favorite symbols and sub symbols and divided symbols within divided symbols <laughs> anyone want to read number four i'll do it okay um just that what hit me earlier was um inherent is in in inheritance the word inherent is pretty much what I, what, what I inherit, <laughs> um, what's inherent in me is, is depending on who my father is. Hmm. I, that's, and all the consequences that come out of that. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the things bear forth the, the, you know, the, the fruit of the same, you know, the same kind of tree or whatever, you know, that things, things replicate in kind. Yeah. So, <laughs> This is the way reality is made by partial vision, purposefully set against the given truth. Its enemy is wholeness. It conceives of little things and looks upon them, and a lack of space, a sense of unity or vision that sees differently, become the threats which it must overcome, con conflict with, and deny. Its enemy is wholeness. <laughs> mm -hmm. So once once we think we're divided, then and apart, a part or apart, either way works. 
for the ego, uh, then then everything else becomes an enemy or an adversary or a, a source of conflict, something that needs to be reconciled. Part of my, I was thinking, part of my ego inheritance is that I have to inherently have an enemy. And in this case, it's wholeness, it's unity, it's, it's the being that um, Judy was talking about. It's the wow experience. That becomes my enemy. Well, that's a hell of an inheritance. <laughs> She's... <laughs> Anyone for the next one? Thanks, Tim. Yeah, it, it really is, you know, I, I, the, the inheritance, I like, like the connection with the words there because, you know, we do, we do think that we inherit um, you know, biologically and we, we make a lot of assumptions about that, huh? Yeah. I'll do the next one. It's okay. Steven. Thanks, Stephen. Hey, uh, yet does this other vision still remain a natural direction for the mind to channel its perception? It is hard to teach the mind a thousand alien names and thousands more. Yet you believe that this is what learning means. It's one essential goal by which communication is achieved and concepts can be meaning meaningfully shared. I wanted to read this because I, um, I realized something uh, uh, recently. Uh, 30 years ago, um, I decided that everything is made of waves, W-A-V-E-S. Mm -hmm. I'm still absolutely convinced of that. But recently, I, uh, I realized uh, that sound and light are the same thing. Uh, not only that, but everything is the same thing. And it seems to me that's what this is saying. Uh, in other words, what I mean by that is all the forces, you know, gravity is the big one, and uh, thermodynamics, uh, you know, electri electrical, all energies, and uh, especially sound and light, it has to be the same thing. Uh, because uh, it would be that simple, I would think. Now, it looks all different when you put it under microscopes and such, but not really, uh, because a galaxy looks just like a molecule. Uh, and no matter what direction you go, no matter what names you give anything, it all has to be the same thing in the end, uh, because it doesn't exist. So I think that's the way it was made. Uh, just wanted to say that. I don't know where it's going. Thank you for listening. Thank you. In fact, uh, interestingly enough, um, those seven symbols, the geometric symbols behind me, uh, were, I, I, I was using this as an, a way to show how Holy Spirit and ego use, can use everything and anything for diametrically opposite purposes. So the first one is, is basically, you know, concentric circles or just a, really a circle and a dot is kind of the, the purest primitive, which could be a symbol for mentalism. Uh, you know, the mind is, contains everything. Uh, there's, it was, this was based on the seven hermetic laws, uh, which is kind of fascinating. They came, they, there was a little book called The Kabbalion that came out in uh, um, 1912. And the, the book that I wrote about it, <laughs> with 100 years later, I thought was a good, good timing, basically went, went into how these, these seven symbols could be uh, ways of looking at how ego can use uh, these, these hermetic laws to further the belief in separation, or that could also be used to turn it around and then stitch everything back together in our mind and get us back to the mind. So the first one is the law of mentalism that says everything is mental. Uh, the second one in the 12 
clock position, which you can't really see, is the vesica Pisces, is sort of like the eye. The third one relates to what you were just sharing, Stephen, is the vibration or kind of the sine, sine waves, that everything vibrates, everything, you know, and on the level of form, that's certainly true. But we can use essentially the vibrations of our thoughts and the vibrations of all the sensory data when we give that to the Holy Spirit to get back to the mind. So, you know, we, we can use anything and everything uh, and Holy Spirit can turn around. Uh, thank you, Byron Katie. <laughs> it, you, any, anything to become a way to get back to mindfulness. And just just, just finish off the last the last ones. There's polarity at the two o'clock position. Uh, you can't really see it very well, but, but pentagonal spiral for rhythm on the, the six o'clock. Uh, cause and effect, which is like a fractal of, of circles within circles for the for the eight o'clock position. And the 10 o'clock position is uh, this, uh, the law of gender generation, which is sort of a fractal yin yang. And these were just symbols that I thought kind of represented some of those ideas. But again, the important thing is not the symbol. It's not, it's not the form. It's really the ideas that uh, we can use the things that trigger our memory to get back to the mind. So we, we, you know, if someone's a botanist, they could use the names of flowers. If someone is really into um, you know, looking at street signs and they could use each, each name that they see in a street sign to, to either further the belief in separation or to you know, say, hey, well, that, that name is part of the one name. You know. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I wanted to, just to finish it out. Uh, uh, I, I just wanted to make the make make the really important point for me. All of this is moot. Uh, yeah. You know, all of this is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. uh, it was over long, not long, long ago. Exactly. And, uh, when I realize these things, uh, it it really helps me with the abstraction because you know, complete abstraction is the natural condition of the mind. And I I like to do these things because it helps me with uh, learning about uh, uh, thoughts of God as opposed to uh, the dark thoughts that uh, that we make up, but all this, whatever we're talking about, those are some beautiful shapes, but they're not there. You know, right, all of this right, is just yeah. a projection, and uh, you know, we're with God right now, and everything's okay, and none of this matters. Exactly, and and the bodies that we think we are aren't here either, <laughs> which is the last place the ego wants to go. Uh, Judy, just from another angle, I think. Um, Ken Wapnick's um, comments on this lesson include a fair amount of material about um, the implications for the study of the course um, and um, how we, the learning process, how, you know, we're taught to learn and we learn things with such difficulty. Um, and now the course is pointing to undoing or unlearning um, and how I think it would be perfectly possible, um, and maybe I've had the odd bit experience in this, to um, learn the course and not get it at all. Um, and if we get mired in learning the course, the way that we were taught to learn, mm -hmm. we won't learn it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, that's a great point. Um, so, um, in other words, for instance, if we try to learn this course with resistance, not noting our resistance to the learning, the result is total confusion. Mm -hmm. So, I think the two points relate. Anyway, they may Yeah, not. yeah. And, and I think, and uh, Ken points out that you know, when we notice the resistance, that actually can be helpful information. Yeah. Because then we can say, oh, there must be a love and a peace 
and a, and a, and a true, a true being that's, that's beyond the existence that I made up. And that's what I really want to return to. So, you know, the important thing is, you know, always which teacher are we using? Can, are we using the teacher of, of kindness and oneness and, and shared interests or, or the teacher of dividing and fragmenting and separating? And, and every, every symbol, including every, every person in our lives, including the self that we think we are, can be a mnemonic device or a reminder for getting back to that right mind. Yeah, yeah, very helpful. Yeah, I, I think... Absolutely everything this course is leading us to should make us very, very uncomfortable in the beginning. And if we don't realize that every time we're uncomfortable, it's an opportunity. But, you know, we glaze over the discomfort. We, you know, we come to classes and, and you know, sometimes they're, you know, if we really heard what's being said, <laughs> we would be fearful uh, as an ego, you know, and, you know, not to miss those opportunities by recognizing how uncomfortable we are and bringing that discomfort, you know, actually looking at it, asking for help to look at it so that we can, again, you know, go beyond it. Yeah. That's really helpful too. And just noticing the squirm, the squirm factor in the mind when, when we read things like, you know, you know, the world was over long ago and, and, you know, the, yeah. the, the world, there is no world. This is the central thought the course attempts to teach. And it's like, well, wait a minute, then, you know, then, then who or what am I? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, the discomfort can look all different ways. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And a lot of it is, habitual it's so habitual that we don't see it as discomfort you know i've been doing this all my life you know so uh, it's become included in our uh daily behavior this is what i do you know and i get uncomfortable I, an, an example get up and go to the refrigerator and get something to eat and never see that as a, a, a discomfort response you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was, I was thinking about, you know, like the, the, the question of, I mean, and certainly he's, he hasn't really, for the most part, brought this in yet, but the idea of, you know, what's, what's, the, what's wrong with seeing symbols? What's wrong with seeing, with, with taking unity for a little while and pretending it's not unified? I mean, what's wrong with that? Well, what's, what's wrong with it is, is the purpose of doing that is to preserve guilt, mm -hmm. is to preserve pain, is to preserve my identification with a thing that can experience guilt and pain. So, I, I mean, it sucks is what it is. I mean, it's, it sucks hanging on to this, you know, ununified thing because it's, it's, it's gl glue is the space. I mean, guilt is the glue that is the space. That There's a, there's a, a series called uh, Genius. It's on Hulu. It's worth getting Hulu just for the series. And it, the first one's about Einstein. And so Einstein's looking at waves moving through the ether, and the ether is this, and that. I mean, he's got this incredible broadened view, but his relationship sucked. I mean, I mean, the, most of the series is about him and, and his family and his 
you know, his family of origin, and then all the women he went through, and then, and then his kid, kids, and they all went bad on him. I mean, and then finally, you know, you get this sense that the really important thing in his life was forgiveness. It even comes up towards the end of the series. But, I mean, here's this guy who can see all this. You know, see this magnanimous, giant view of, of the universe and what's going on. And yet his life was really screwed up like all of our lives are because it was all about guilt. <laughs> it was held together by guilt, for God's sake. Mm -hmm. I mean, he really didn't get free of all that stuff until towards the end of his life. So, I mean, it's amazing to watch. It's just, it's a great series. Joffrey Rush plays Einstein. Incredible job. He becomes, oh, he's good, yeah. he becomes Einstein. But it's on Hulu. It's called Genius, and it's the first season. Okay. But it's really, uh, it's wild. Cool. <laughs> What's important here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That sounds really neat. Um, yeah, and, and you know, the point is, you know, it's really, you know, I think Ken emphasized that, especially in the, the later work that he did, how much, you know, important of kindness and, and shared interest and, you know, like in that uh, the one about community, about making about the other person. And, and um, you know, if, if we haven't started practicing that, you know, we're, <laughs> we're not really <laughs> applying the course very much and it's not gonna make, make much difference. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Anyone else for the next one? Fabulous. Okay. Thanks, Tony. This is the sum of the inheritance the world bestows. And everyone who learns to think that it is so accepts the signs and symbols that assert the world is real. It is for this they stand. They leave no doubt that what is named is there. It can be seen as is anticipated. What denies that it is true is but illusion, for it is the ultimate reality. To question it is madness. To accept its presence is the proof of sanity. <laughs> Any thoughts on that? Well, just saying again, you know, that's, that's the whole purpose is to keep reality from us, you know, but um, everything we, we've uh, made is for that ultimate purpose is to, we wanted to escape reality. So um, everything we do after that is just, just a way of keeping that intact, that, that thought of separation intact. So we're, we're, we're the same one, you know, any other thought of oneness or wholeness is, that's the insanity. Yeah, I think that ties in. Oh, yeah. I think I think that ties into what Tim was talking about. Is you know the, you know the, the phrase that, you know love makes the world go round. Well, it's really guilt, you know. And and, <laughs> and, and I think I think it was one of Ken's commentaries where he says, you know, one of the last. I'm paraphrasing greatly, but it's one of the last things that physics will ever get to is, you know, the fundamental building block of the universe is guilt. You know, <laughs> they're probably probably not going to uh, be uh, uh, discussed in physics journals anytime soon. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tony. What? How about the next one? Anyone for that? Number seven. Yeah, I'll read that. Such is the teaching of the world. It is a phase of learning everyone who comes must go through. But the sooner he perceives on what it rests, how questionable are its premises, how doubtful its results 
The sooner does he question its effects. Learning that stops with what the world would teach stops short of meaning. In its proper place, the world serves but as a starting point from which another kind of learning can begin. A new perception can be gained and all the arbitrary names the world bestows can be withdrawn as they are raised to doubt. What would, what would your elevator speech on that paragraph be, Abby? <laughs> Elevators. <laughs> you got. You, just, you got to have another teacher. <laughs> yeah, really. There must be a better way. Huh? There's a guts to be another teacher. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's just you know. I, I I was thinking that actually that last bit really ties into the idea that you know that I think uh, you know the shared interest is really how the Holy Spirit gradually replaces the ego's fraudulent identity with the shared identity and gives us something truly real, not, not a symbol, but a, a reality that goes beyond symbols that we can truly relate to and identify with um, that then propels us to further forgive and to further look at the unconscious guilt with, with that awareness and see the gentleness that's behind that and, and, you know, and <laughs> basically counteract the, the sabotage and the, and the tactics of the ego by, by just, you know, let's keep bringing it to mind. You know, like Lynn was talking about, you know, just notice, notice the, the addictive behaviors and, and, and all the things that we like coping mechanisms to, to avoid looking at the guilt Just say, Oh, I must have been afraid of, of looking at the guilt because I was afraid of the love that was behind it. How about number nine, number eight? I'll read it. Okay. Think not you made the world. Illusions, yes. But what is true in earth and heaven is beyond your naming. When you call upon a brother, it is to his body that you make appeal. His true identity is hidden from you by what you believe he really is. His body makes response to what you call him for his mind consents to take the name you give him as his own. And thus his unity is twice denied for you perceive him separate from you and he accepts this separate name as his. Well, we just pass it back and forth. <laughs> Here, I'll chop you in half, and and you can take your two halves and chop that in half, and and yeah. send me back more more pieces. <laughs> Divide and be conquered. <laughs> what a crazy world, huh? Just given, I, given, given to the ego. I, I think about Adam and we are about that with our, you know, our newborn babies and teaching them, you know, mommy and, you know, the baby's name, Johnny or Susie and, you know, how adamant we are in, in separating as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yep. 
distinguishing what goes into the body from what go, comes out of the body, all those kind of those, yeah. you know, basic training kinds of things that we reinforce heavily, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, you know, like, like what keeps, you know, we all know the symbols are made up. We all know the symbols are symbols of symbols. We all know the bodies aren't real. I mean, we know that at some gut level, we know that. Mm -hmm. However, what keeps us preoccupied is look what that symbol did. To, you call it what you want. Look what that symbol did to another symbol. Mm -hmm. It robbed it of its peace. Mm -hmm. It destroyed it. It hurt it. It killed it. I mean, it's the, it really is the guilt that keeps us so preoccupied. How, are, how is your body guilty? I mean, it's not just I named your body. It's like how how guilty are you in in robbing me or somebody of their peace? I mean, that's what keeps us believing we're bodies or believing in, that the symbols are are actually affecting each other that are actually real. It's the way they seem to affect each other in in this this huge thing we put together. Exactly, and and if if I can't if things start coming back together, and the, you know, there's something that's innocent combines with something that I thought wasn't innocent, now I think that's innocent too, then, then that's really messing up the ego's whole strategy because now, now I gotta go out and find another scapegoat that's, that's guilty to project my guilt onto. But, but fortunately, you know, the ego keeps dividing and, and reproducing and, and having, having offspring of, <laughs> of multitudes to keep the, the guilt factory going, right? <laughs> so. mm. nope. Anyone for the next one? Number nine. Steve has something, Bruce. Okay. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, just to piggyback on what uh, what uh, what Tim was just saying, we're glad to do it. We're glad to do that guilt thing because what we're really scared of is redemption, and what we're really scared of is losing all this wonderful stuff that uh, that we think that's uh, you know. I mean, a lot of us uh, sitting here right now, we know this ain't no <laughs> we know this ain't no ball game. We know, we know what's happening. We realize that the, the misery just keeps on coming. I mean, just take a look, look around. But what, what we're terrified of is, uh, is giving all this up and going back to heaven. Oh, seemingly. Yeah. Thank you. Giving up all that suffering. Wow, what a, what a suffering. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, I, I got to give up more misery today. Oh, well. <sighs> What a life. <laughs> well, I'll read number nine. It would be strange indeed, indeed, it would indeed be strange if you were to ask to go beyond all symbols of the world, forgetting them forever, yet were asked to take a teaching function. You have need to use the symbols of the world a while, but be you not deceived by them as well. They do not stand for anything at all. And in your practicing, it is this thought that will release you from them. They become but means by which you can communicate in ways the world can understand, but which you recognize is not the unity where true communication can be found. So yeah, we use words, we use logos and glyphs and, and, and symbols and all sorts to, to communicate, but um, the symbol is not the, not the source, right? Hmm. Anyone for number 10? Judy? Thus what you need are intervals each day in which the learning of the world becomes a transitory phase, a prison house 
from which you go into the sunlight and forget the darkness. Here you identify the word, the name, which God has given you, the one identity which all things share, the one acknowledgement of what is true. And then step back to darkness, not because you think it is real, but only to proclaim its unreality in terms which still have meaning in the world that darkness rules. I, this brings to mind something, you know, way back when, when I was doing a lot of um, TM and I, I go there into my little um, peaceful circle and just get extreme bliss. And then I noticed a pattern of going down, this would be about five o'clock, going down at 5.30 to um, greet my husband and always had a fight, at least a minor disagreement. <laughs> Where the rubber meets the road, forgiveness classroom 101, right? Anyone else can relate? <laughs> Here you, here you were all holy and everything, and he robbed you of it. <laughs> and you've, you've got that built into your name. <laughs> your symbol. Your, Judy your Rob. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Guess who gave up TM? It's <laughs> <laughs> causing too much marital strife, huh? All, all that bliss, right? <laughs> oh, that's wow. funny. <laughs> wow. Anyone for the next one? I'll read it. Okay, thanks, Dave. Hmm. Use all the little names and symbols which delineate the world of darkness, yet accept them not as your reality. The Holy Spirit uses all of them, but he does not forget creation has one name, one meaning and a single source which unifies all things within itself. Use all the names the world bestows on them, but for convenience. Yet do not forget they share the name of God along with you. Fortunately, it's a pretty big name. <laughs> There's room for everyone to share it. <laughs> and it's only three letters. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, really. Yeah. Not too, too much memory work required, right? Yeah, that's good. Thanks. How about number 12? Any, anyone for that one? I'll read. Okay, thanks, Rebecca. God has no name, and yet his name becomes the final lesson that all things are one. And at this lesson does all learning end. All names are unified. All space is filled with truth's reflection. Every gap is closed and separation healed. The name of God is the inheritance he gave to those who chose, who chose the teaching of the world to take the place of heaven. In our practicing, our purpose is to let our minds accept what God has given as the answer to the pitiful inheritance we made as fitting tribute to the son he loves. Any thoughts on that one? 
you know, before I came to the course, I was in the Sufi work and the only practice that the Sufis have is called Zek and it's remembrance of God. And it's when I was initiated, you're given a name of God in Arabic. You can never say it out loud. And I never understood why. <laughs> and um, as I read that, I am feeling, oh, I don't know how to describe it. It's just, it's like the name that isn't a name. It's the, the final thing, the final symbol, and in it, it all just, it deflates. I'm just, I'm seeing the universe expand and contract all at once. Hmm. Nice. Well, what would happen if you said the name? What was supposed to happen? You would burn up? I don't think so. <laughs> but I, I remember one of my one of my one of the fellow Darvishes told me that when she was giving childbirth, she screamed it out loud, and she was so scared that she was going to get in trouble. <laughs> but I think you know, when I try to not get into like say it or don't say it, there's something about keeping a secret. There's something about it. Um, that is, it's like we, do, by not saying it in front of other people, you don't give it form and you don't, you don't bring it into this world, so to speak. I, yeah, I'm still, I'm still sitting with it. I, you know, I, I think what you just shared is actually kind of a, an opportunity to look at, you know, how Holy Spirit can use the idea of it, it can't be expressed any, anything that's truth can't be expressed completely in form because it never existed here in the first place and it never could. Right. So, so, you know, using that as, as a, not to get hung up on the ritual, but to just notice, well, maybe the meaning original meaning behind the original might've had some, some really helpful intent is to, to keep it back to the mind and back to the pure idea and not to, you know, be burned at the stake if you utter the word. I was, I was flashing on the, a scene in the life of Brian, the Monty Python film where this guy who had been in deep meditation for like 10 years or 20 or whatever it was in, in this, in this pit, you know, and these, these people following Brian stumble across him and, and, and he, he says, and they started eating his juniper bushes and, and then, and, and then he starts cursing and he said, damn, no, I, I spoke a word. I wasn't supposed to say a word for all these years. And I, I broke my vow of silence. And, and, then, and, then, and then he says, Jehovah, 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 you know, cause that was the word he wasn't supposed to say. And, and, and kind of like you're expecting the you know, bolt of lightning to come down and strike him. But, you know, that's where we confuse form and content, you know, we just forget about that the ritual, you know, some rituals probably had, you know, a, a good intent you know, behind them originally, right? So, yeah, I think I just got a taste of what the original intent may have been. Yeah, yeah. Interestingly enough, just before you started reading, I I, um, I, I looked up to see who volunteered, and, and I, I glanced at your name and said, oh, oh thanks, Rebecca. And then and I realized I could have said, just easily said, thanks, God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, that, if we're really applying this, every one of us is God, right? I mean, ultimately, but, but anyway, you, you get the idea. Who, who's ready for the next one? Well, I was thinking about, you know, like with, with any behavior, if I'm doing it with the ego, it'd be like, nah, nah, I know the, I know the God's holy word, you don't. You know, I mean, if you do that with the ego, of course you're going to like not share it because you, you don't want, you want to be especially holy. But right. it, I mean, if you share it in your mind, you share it with anybody, everybody anyway. So, I mean, then it takes on, the behavior takes on that whole thing that it's being shared all the time internally.
anyway. I don't have to. I mean, Jesus is never saying we have to walk up and, and literally, verbally forgive everybody. But in our minds, he's saying that that's, that, that, that is our job, to share that forgiveness internally. Hmm. Yeah. Now I'm sure everyone wants to know the name. <laughs> yeah, right. I want, I want her to say it so I can see if she burns up on the screen. Or <laughs> what did you say, Rebecca? Did you forget it? Oh, no, I haven't seen it, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't want any thunderbolts, you know. Okay, go ahead, Rebecca. Whisper it to me in your mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 I got it, I got it. <laughs> that's good, that's good. <laughs> Anyone for number 12? I, th I think we're actually cl close to the usual time. Did, is, okay, if we run over a little bit, does anyone have to leave? Okay. Who'd, who'd like to read? We're on 13, actually. Oh, it's, oh, oh yes, thank you. Thank Rosemary's you. got it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> number, what was it, number uh, 13? 13? Yeah. No one can fail who seeks the meaning of the name of God experience must come to supplement the word but first you must accept the name for all reality and realize the many names you gave its aspects have distorted what you see but have not interfered with truth at all one name we bring into our practicing one name we use to unify our sight Helpful, thank you. <laughs> Unify our vision, huh? I'll read the last two. We can use that as a meditation. How's that sound? And though we use a different name for each awareness as an aspect of God's Son, we understand that they have but one name, which He has given them. It is this name we use in practicing. And through its use, all foolish separations disappear, which kept us blind and we are given strength to see beyond them. Now our sight is blessed with blessings we can give as we receive. Father, our name is yours. In it, we are united with all living things and you who are their one creator. What we made and call by many different names is but a shadow we have tried to cast across your own reality. And we are glad and thankful we were wrong. All our mistakes we give to you that we may be absolved from all the effects our errors seem to have. And we accept the truth you give in place of every one of them. Your name is our salvation and escape from what we made. Your name unites us in the oneness, which is our inheritance and peace. Amen. And we can take a few moments and I'll bring us back.
Okay, thank you. So we can hang out in the name of God today. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Bruce. Thank, thank you, Bruce. all. Thank, thank you, Bruce. Thanks. Very good. All right. Thank you. All right. Good. A lot of joy today. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. Hmm.